Bibles this morning and turn to them to Hebrews chapter 12. We're starting a three-week series on bitterness. Bitterness. What a powerful image. The digging up the deadly root of bitterness. And so that's what we're going to be talking about. And we're headed to Hebrews 12. We're in the month of February. Guys, that means uh, Valentine's Day is coming. Um, it's talking to... Uh, 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 one of our members, and he said, that's the most overrated holiday there ever is. I said, well, maybe, but don't forget it, and uh, still do something about it. So that's coming up. So as we look at this lesson, as you look at your lesson sheet, what's the greatest obstacle to obeying the great commandment? The great commandment is the call to love all. I call it the call to love all. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor. What's the greatest obstacle to that? Made me think of several years ago, a missionary in the Philippines had this experience as Valentine's Day was approaching. How would you like to have this experience, guys? Here's what he said. Yesterday, I went to a lunch at a new restaurant where we live while my wife was gone grocery shopping. The lady who runs the place invited me to come back this weekend. And without breaking stride, she said she was running a series of Valentine's Day specials. Friday night was for the mistress. Saturday was for the true wife. And Sunday was for the girlfriend. I should come all three evenings. Now, this guy, this missionary had never even seen this. She said, I've never had such an invitation, especially from a woman who I had never seen before. Probably a good thing that uh, his wife had gone shopping. Now, I, you, you have to admit, a mistress or a girlfriend, much less both, would definitely be an obstacle to loving your spouse. But what do you do when the obstacle to loving your spouse is your spouse? In other words, one of the greatest obstacles to obeying the call to love your spouse or loving other Christians or other people in general is the people themselves, right? It's not just hard to love people. It's hard to forgive them. And if we got really honest with it, the struggle to love is often in our hearts. It's really not about the people. It's about we struggling in our own hearts to do what we know we should do. Because after all, don't we, all, most of us here, all of us here, know that we should forgive? So what is it that hinders us from forgiving those that are hard to love, that are hard to forgive? Well, I think the answer is in Ephesians 4, 31 through 32. So if you want to keep your finger there in Hebrews 12, you can flip over to, to Ephesians 4, 31 through 32. I think the answer is found. Why is it that we struggle to love and then to forgive those that are hard to love? And the answer is in Ephesians 4, 31 through 32. Are you there? All right, let's check it out. Let all what? Bitterness, there it is. That's the answer. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away. Be put away. One thing I want you to emphasize about this series is we're going to have choices to make. Today, we're going to have choices to make. Next week, we're going to have choices to make. Bitterness is not dug up 
without making choices, without you getting involved. And so Paul says here, be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgave you. Listen, if you try to do verse 32 without doing verse 31, you're not going to do it. That's the key. That's the key. There's an order to those verses. First, you have to put away in order to put on. So the source of unforgiveness or a lack of love is summed up in one word, bitterness. So I would say to you this, love's greatest obstacle is a bitter heart. Love's greatest obstacle is a bitter heart. And so that's why we're going to tackle this subject for the next three weeks. Bitterness, though, is not just an obstacle to overcome. It's a brick wall that you have to, like, break through. It is a brick wall. It's a root that must be dug out of hearts. Then you stamp on it, and then you throw it away forever. Nobody digs up weeds and then, like, puts them in a vase and holds on to them and replants them. No, you stamp on them, throw them away, get them put away. So that brings us to Hebrews chapter 12, which is kind of the theme verse for this series. So uh, it, it's not kind of, it, it, it is. This is what we're, this is the basis of these three weeks that we're going to look at. It. Hebrews 12, 14 through 17. So let's, let's prepare our hearts to hear from God. Hebrews 12, 14 through 17. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. But to do that, you've got to look carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Now, as we... Think about Ephesians 4. We look and just read Hebrews 12. Bitterness and love can't abide in the same heart. They just can't. They can't abide. And according to Hebrews 12, neither can holiness, peace, or forgiveness. All the great fruits of the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit, the great characters of Christ cannot abide in a heart full of bitterness. These two can never live together in the same heart. One of them has to move out to make room for the other. One of them has to move out to make room for the other. Either bitterness will prevent you from loving God and others and becoming like Christ, or loving God and others and becoming like Christ will protect you from remaining bitter. That's the two choices that we have in this series. So I've got good news for you this morning. And good news in this series. You know, somebody put this out on our Facebook page and someone said, man, I'm glad I'm, I'm teaching in Discovery Hour. You know, that sounds, yeah, it is. I mean, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. If, if, listen, if God's going to do the work that he wants to do in the next three weeks, there'll be struggle. There'll be spiritual warfare. It's going to be difficult. But listen, there's good news. You can dig up the deadly root of bitterness. And there's three stages, which is, which is the outline for our series. Stage one, and there's stages because these aren't steps. You don't just 
bump, bump, bump right through them. It's a process. It's a process. But it goes through these stages. Stage one, acknowledge the characteristics of bitterness. That's what we're going to look at today. Stage two, avoid the curses and contagions that bitterness spreads. And then lesson three is going to be stage three, apply the cure for bitterness, not only to ourselves, but to other people. And so you need to come all three weeks, and uh, and we're going to take a look at it. Now, digging up the deadly root, that's what the Bible calls it. Uh, I'm not much of a gardener, except for one area. I can grow weeds, and I can do them really well. Uh, some plants, especially le- weeds, will never die unless you dig out their roots and utterly destroy them. Or pay a little extra money and have Bill come and he'll take care of your weeds. Now, through the years, I think I've been a faithful customer, Bill, haven't I? I've always paid, haven't I? And you've always come. And But one year, you know, I decided, you know what, I think I can save some money and I'll just do this myself. And I got out there, and I, I, I went to the grass pad, and I got, Graham, what, what's that guy's name, whatever that guy is, Uncle's, Uncle's, uh, yeah, Uncle's plan. And I did that, and I got out there, and I did everything Uncle told me to do. And I had a beautiful lawn of weeds. I mean, I said, Gwen, look at that. They are everywhere. I mean, I've never seen this many weeds. And so that year was a year of learning. And then I called Bill back up and said, Bill, you better come back out because you know how to get rid of it. Listen, you got to cut them off. You can cut weeds off at the surface. I remember as a kid, we used to have to pick dandelions. And uh, we'd, we'd go out there. And, of course, as kids, you just pick them. And then what happens? They come right back. Um, but what you had to do, we had a little dandelion. I remember the little tool, dig them out, get the roots out. But if you don't do that, when the root is exposed, when the root is removed from the soil, then the plant is gone. But it takes work to dig up roots. But it's going to be worth the effort. It's going to be worth your effort to dig this root up because it protects other plants in the garden. Nowhere is this more true than in digging up the root of bitterness out of our hearts, out of our marriages, out of our friendships, out of our family, and yes, even out of our church. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to look how you've got to recognize it. Because sometimes, you know, one of the things about weeds and, and, and flowers is, in us guys, for Valentine's Day, you need to know the difference, right? Your wife doesn't want a, a bouquet of weeds. She wants a bouquet of flowers. You've got to know the difference, all right? So you've got to recognize bitterness, and it's hard to recognize. So today, I want to give you four characteristics. Because once you recognize it, then you can acknowledge it, and you're one-third of the way to digging it up, okay? So once you recognize it, you can acknowledge it, and that's one-third of the battle. So let's look at four characteristics, four characteristics of the root of bitterness. And the first one is this. Bitterness is a poison that is extremely deadly. Bitterness is a poison that is extremely deadly. Now... Bitterness is a poison that goes straight to the heart. And let me give you three passages. So let's look at them. Look at Acts chapter 8. Turn your Bibles. Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 8, we have Peter's confrontation of Simon the sorcerer. And in Acts chapter 8, 20 through 23, we've got a, 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 a picture of the deadly poison of bitterness. Look at Acts 8, 20 through 23. Verse 20, but Peter said to him, 
your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter. And notice, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. His thinking was wrong because his heart was wrong in the sight of God. Other people may not have been able to see it, but God saw it and it wasn't right. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. So much of bitterness is a thinking process. It's stinking thinking and it's bitter thinking. And he says, be forgiven you. So look at verse 23, sums it up. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. It's a deadly poison. We see the same warning in James. Turn to the book of James in the New Testament. James chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. Look at James chapter 3. Let the word of God do its effective work as we read these verses. James chapter 3, 14 through 16. But if you have bitter envy, bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, that's where it's at. Do not boast and lie against the truth. We're going to see this idea. A lot of bitterness is denying what's really going on. It's denying what's in there. It's being deceived by what's in there. And more so, it's denying that God will render judgment and consequences on a bitter heart. Do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but it's earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing. I am thoroughly convinced that a bitter heart leads to confused thinking, confused living, and it leads to a lot of evil things that often we're not even aware of. We're not even aware that we're like the cause and effect of what's going around. Third passage I want you to look at is Deuteronomy 29 in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 29. Deuteronomy 29 is what the author of Hebrews is quoting. So when we read Hebrews, and he talks about a root of bitterness, he's quoting this Old Testament passage. And it's always good to go back and read the original uh, passage. When a New Testament guy quotes an Old Testament, always go back and always read that context. context. There's a wealth in there. So let's look at Deuteronomy 29, and we're going to look at verses 18 and 19. Again, this isn't a self-help series where I give you three steps and then in the power of the flesh you try to conquer bitterness. You're only going to get more bitter. This is divine surgery. And so you've got to let the Word of God do its effective work. Deuteronomy 29, 18-19. Notice what it says. Beware, lest there be among you a man or a woman or clan or tribe whose heart is turning away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of these nations. That's probably the essence of bitterness. It's a tur- we, we think it's about that person. We think it's about that hurtful event when in fact bitterness is a turning away from God in our hearts. 
Beware. Second, second time he says beware. Beware lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. One who, when he hears the words of this sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart. It's an inside job saying, I shall be safe though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. Oh, man, that, that ought to just put the fear of God into us. It's like he's sitting through this series, hearing the word of God taught about bitterness and saying, you know what? God may curse a bitter heart, but I'm going to bless myself anyway in the stubbornness of my own heart. I'm, I'm going to think this way. I don't care what anybody tells me. I don't care how much they warn me. I don't care if the Spirit convicts me. I'm right, and I'm going to stick with this, and I'm just going to remain bitter in my heart. Man. And he says, beware, beware, beware. Now, it's interesting because this word... Uh, the Hebrew word there in verse 18 for poisonous is the same word for snake venom. And I'm no uh, uh, snake doctor, but uh, I did do a little study on snake venom. And there's four kinds of snake venom. And you don't want any of them. But you particularly don't want the fourth kind. So notice there's cytotoxic venoms. They attack the cells. So the snake bites you and all the skin around there just dies. And, and Dane, you're shaking your head. I mean, oh, oh that's right. You st- you, okay, so if I make a mistake, you correct me, okay? You're the EM, what we're talking about. Deadly stuff, right? And then neurotoxic venoms. They attack the nervous, the central nervous system. And I could read, I mean, it, it, this is gruesome stuff. This is gruesome stuff. Gwen, do you like that picture as we sit here today looking at that? Okay. And then there's, uh, uh, <laughs> oh, wait, sorry. I missed my, I just pet him there. All right, then there's myotoxic venoms that attack the muscular system. These venoms go into your muscles and your tongue thickens, which is a muscle, and and it starts destroying the muscle tissue. But then there's hemotoxic venoms, and those are the ones that go straight to the heart. They go straight to the heart in minutes, right? Maybe even seconds, and and you're done. There's no 911. You can call them. And just say, come pick up the body. Okay, they go straight to the heart. Now, what we've already read thus far, you have seen that when, it's, when you're talking bitterness, it is hemotoxic. It is hemotoxic. And it goes straight to the heart. And it doesn't just go straight to the heart. Then it goes to the nervous system. Then it goes to the muscle. It goes to the whole person. And the person themselves, as we're going to see today, becomes a root of bitterness. So the Bible's clear. Bitterness is a deadly poison. So here's what I'm going to ask you. How do most people deal with the presence of deadly poisons? What do you do? Okay, let's say you're eating someone and someone says, hey, by the way, that's poisonous. What's the first thing you're going to do? You're going to spit it out. You're going to spit it out. If you if you knew you had ingested poison and you didn't know if it was psychotoxic, psychotoxic, mitotoxic, what are you going to do? Who are you going to call? Not Ghostbusters. Who are you going to call? 911. All right? It's like the time when Pat, we were, uh, he ingested some gasoline. It's a long story. We won't go there. But we were spending the night together. Let me tell you, 
you got in the phone book, didn't you? And you started calling, you know, poison control. What happens when you ingest a lot of gas? All I knew is, all I know is you burp a lot and the room smells like gasoline. So you call 911. If you have snake venom, if you get bit by a snake, you need an anti-venom. If, and by the way, if you have something in your, in your house that's poisonous, do you take the label off? No. No, you clearly mark it. Beware, skull and crossbones, right? You immediately remove or throw out the poison so others don't contaminate by it. And if you found out someone was poisonous in this day and age, you're going to put it on Facebook. Hey, watch out. This is poisonous. You may not realize it, but this is poisonous. Eating at Chipotle is poisonous. Watch out. You're going to tell people. Deadly poisons are marked and removed. If you found out that a necklace your child had been given had lead poison, you know, had was lead based, what would you do? Oh, honey, here you go. Chew on that a little bit. You know, continue to suck on that. Wear that around your neck. No, you're going to get it out of there. Bitterness is not something you play around, uh, around with. You don't tolerate it. It's a deadly poison. It's a terminal cancer, and its characteristics need to be recognized and then immediately dealt with. It's a, it's a poison that's extremely deadly, and you should deal with it like you do any other poison. Number two, bitterness is not only a poison, it's a process. It's a process that's incredibly deceptive. It's incredibly deceptive. That's the second characteristic. All the more reason why we need to recognize it. Now, the key to this process is the word picture, root of bitterness. Root of bitterness. The Bible paints this vivid word picture, both in Hebrews 12 and Deuteronomy 29. It's called a root because it begins hidden in the soil of your heart. From there, its roots entwine themselves around your heart, your mind, until they choke the life of, out of you emotionally and spiritually. And if it's allowed to grow unchecked, this root of bitterness, the Bible says, suddenly springs up. I mean, isn't that the way it is in the summertime, in the springtime? You can have this beautiful lawn if you don't have Bill coming over. You have this lawn one day, and then the rain comes, and it gets extra hot, and one day it goes from a green lawn, and the next day it's a polka dot yellow lawn with dandelions everywhere. You ever seen that happen? Yeah, all of a sudden you're like, where'd that come from? Well, it's been growing. It's been germinating. A root of bitterness in your life will spring up and cast a shadow over everything you are and everything you do. And it will literally come to dominate your very existence and it will begin to spread its poison and its roots into the hearts of those around you. So let me, let's take this picture of a, of a root a root of bitterness, and let me give you two principles. First of all, it's a process that is hidden. It's a hidden process. It's hidden beneath the surface, and it's not easily detected. Three reasons why the process of becoming bitter is deceptive. Number one, bitterness is a heart sin that grows unseen, unnoticed. You know what the hardest sins to deal with? It, hardest sins isn't stopping stealing it's stopping being greedy the hardest sin is not stopping committing immorality it's stopping lusting 
in the heart. See, it's the heart sins that are the hard ones to deal with. You can stop the action temporarily, but until you root out the heart sin. Some, number two, bitter people have a hard heart that refuses to see things God's way and repent. Bitter people have a hard heart or you might say a hardening heart. Because as we've read these passages, both these passages have talked about people who basically say, you know what, I don't care what God says about bitterness or about the way I'm thinking. I'm going to go my way. And you know what? If I don't like hearing people telling me that I shouldn't be, I'll go find people that will tell me. And you know, I, I, I think the, the most foolish things and the greatest temptation we have is when we're struggling is to listen to other foolish people's counsel. You know, for the life of me, I know it's tempting. I understand. I, we we want to hear people to justify what we're doing. But, you know, to, to be in a Bible-teaching church and not seek counsel from godly, wise, mature people, your own pastors, and instead go to work and listen to people whose lives are a wreck, who are living for self, and who, you know, and then listen. But you know what? They'll, they'll give you advice. Am I right? I mean, I know the people I work with give me advice, but I'm talking about outside the church. People you work with, they'll tell you how to fix that stuff. Listen, hard hearts refuse to see things God's way and repent. Uh, remember, Deuteronomy 29:19. though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. Number three, becoming bitter is a hidden sin that's not easy to discern in the heart of others or detect in our own hearts until it's too late. So, it is a heart sin, it is a hard sin, it is a hidden sin that is very difficult to detect until it springs up, and that's and then it's almost too late. And we already saw in the life of Esau, there does come a time where we can sin and be so stubborn that God gives us over and says, okay. You've chosen, that's what you want. I will leave you in your sin. Secondly, it's not only a hidden process, it's a process that takes time. It's a process that takes time. The idea of a root takes time to grow, spring up, and bear fruit. That's why it's called a root that springs up. The difficulty is things are growing beneath the surface that we cannot see, and it takes time. Listen, the bitter root may not pop up for years later. Years. Oh, it's there. It's growing. God's convicting. But then one day, just the right conditions occur, and boom, it blooms and spreads, and suddenly it seems to be spilling over onto everything. Just like the dandelions that spring up after a good rain. But what happens if you just pick those yellow flowers and don't get the roots? It will come right back. So, here's some. what are some biblical ways to deal with self-deception? Let me give you some biblical ways to deal with self-deception. And we're going to utilize these in the weeks to come. First of all, we've got to let God search our hearts. He's the only one. One of the number one things I pray for myself, I pray for others. God, get in there and fix the heart because only you... Only you can fix the heart. Yeah, uh, Bruce, can you, or Bruce, 
little Bruce, can you go get Robert a sheet? Grab him a sheet. Tyler, thanks. Actually, big Bruce. I think you're going to be taller than Dan. Okay. Some of those didn't print right. I don't know why they did. Sorry about that, Robert. We've got to let God search our hearts. We simply can't do it without Him. Number two, we've got to let God's Word overrule hurt feelings, self-justification, and rightness. We've got to let... So, I hope in these next three weeks, you let God's Word do the, do the surgery, the divine surgery. And then we have to let God's Spirit lead us so that we don't grieve Him by denying our bitterness and we don't quench Him by refusing to forgive. And then fourthly, the way not to be self-deceived, we've got to listen to God's saints, God's servants, who see, who see it in our countenance, they hear it in our words, and they experience it in our actions. I'm telling you, the number one way that God, through His Spirit, number one, through His Spirit and being sensitive to my spirit, has, has shown me when I have got an anger that is deep-rooted. And then the, the greatest way I have found, I'm just telling you how I've found to deal with it, is being, being in my grow group, being in my grow group, and humbling myself, and in our prayer time, when us guys get together, just confessing and saying, you know what, I don't really know specifically. I've, I've forgiven everybody, but I know in my heart this isn't good. I humble myself, I confess that, they pray over me, and you know what? It's gone. God deals with it. So, that's a combination of God searching my heart. That's a combination of knowing what God's Word says about anger, bitterness, and malice. It's a combination of listening to the Spirit's leading, and it's a combination of being in, in fellowship and community with God's people. So, by the way, groups start tonight. So, if you still want to find one, let me know, and I'll plug you in. Bitterness is not a process that's easily detected. We can be easily deceived by its deadly presence and consumed by its bitter fruit before we even realize it. You know what the key here is? Early detection. Now, our, you, know, you, know, you can learn so much by looking at our society. You know, basically, I look at the world, turn it upside down, and you pretty much have God's truth, right? And they just focus on the wrong things. You know, save the wells, murder the babies, okay? Uh, how about working to be good stewards of all that, but saving what's most important? Well, early detection. What is our society so concerned about? Early detection of what? Cancer, right? This cancer, that cancer, every cancer. And I'm not making light of that. But you know what? I've yet to see a ribbon for early detection of bitter heart. I've yet to see a march, a marathon, or anything for early detection of heart sins. You know what? You can't go to the world for that. That's what we do as God's people. We as God's people advocate for early detection of cancers like bitterness that can grow and spread in our hearts. We need to listen to others when they warn us. We need to examine our hearts before God on a regular basis. We need to encourage others. Listen, when we counsel people that are going through hard times, we ought to warn them, hey, I'm not saying you're bitter. I'm not saying you're going to become bitter. But you know what? When we go through hurtful circumstances, there's the temptation to become what? To become bitter. And so I've been there. I know I'm warning you. I'm warning you. Here's a passage you may want to be praying about. Better. So 
That's how serious it is. It's a process that's incredibly deceptive. Number three, bitterness is not only a poison and a process, it's not only deadly and deceptive, but it's a plague that is highly contagious. It's a plague. Now, we're not used to plagues, but when you study history, the Black Plague was not something to mess around. Plagues were scary things and can wipe out a lot of people. You realize in both the passage in Hebrews and Deuteronomy, this this is their number one concern. Their number one concern, to be quite honest, when you read these two passages, they're kind of like, hey, you don't want to get like this person, but if you do, it's kind of like this person is kind of beyond hope, not, not totally, but the bigger problem is what this person does to the community. Don't become this person, and then don't let this person who is bitter spread to the community. So, two things I want to show you. The root of bitterness can contaminate many, many people. It is highly, highly contagious. So two things. The command to watch out for the root of bitterness is one of several commands to the entire church. So go back to Hebrews 12. So you have your Bibles. Go back to Hebrews 12. And let's look at verses 12 through 15 again. And I want you to see... You know, one of the dangers about cherry-picking verses, I mean, it's good to memorize a verse, it's good to meditate on a verse, it's good to pray over a verse, but to find the meaning of a verse, you've got to look at it in context. And there's a lot of commands that lead up to this command about watching out for bitterness. So let's look at verse 12 and through 15, and just right there, there at your table, just kind of look at that and say, now, how many commands? So what's the command in verse 12? Yeah, strengthen, strengthen. Hey, one of the best ways to avoid uh, contaminating other people is strengthen, strengthen them so that they don't. Uh, just this week, uh, my wife and I went and, 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 and by God's grace had the opportunity just to strengthen some people who, who, whose knees were weak. And, and who are going through a trial, and, 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 their, and, and their hands, you know, I just don't know what to do. Well, I don't either, but let's strengthen one another with the Word of God. Amen? Number thir- uh, uh, Verse 13, what's the command? Yeah, make straight. And it says, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. So that's the idea of, hey, I'm broke, I'm hurt. Well, let's reset it so it can heal. Let's realign with the word of God. Number 14, or verse uh, number, verse 14, what's the command? Pursue peace and what? Holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Then he says in verse 15, looking carefully lest anyone fall short. So the idea is we are commanded to help one another in this area, strengthen one another, help one another make our path straight, help one another pursue peace, help one another to make holiness a priority. Number two, the command concerning the root of bitterness is a community responsibility to carefully look out for one another. Look at verse 15. Some translations say, looking carefully. New American Standard says, see to it. In other words, watch out, not just for yourself, but for one another. 
You know, we're not good at that as Americans. You know, each his own. My problems are my problems. My issues are my issues. Don't get in my issues. But the reality is this. As the body of Christ, bitterness affects the community, so the community needs to be on guard. Not in a not in a critical, you know, hey, you're a bitter person, go away. No, hey, I think you're becoming bitter. Come, let me pray with you. Let me help you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch out for you because I need you to watch out for him, for me. In other words, like Larry the Cable Guy says, get her done. Get after it. Don't let bitterness grow. Third thing I want you to see is the command to look out for bitterness is critical because anyone is susceptible and many will actually be infected. Look at verses 15 through 16. Uh, Translation here that I'm using three times it says, lest anyone, lest any, lest there be. Probably the greatest danger when it comes, you know, pride's always the heart of every sin. And the greatest danger is bitterness is I would never become bitter. And the only other greater danger is when you're bitter and you say, because every, I don't know about you, but nearly every bitter person I've ever met always says what? I'm not bitter. And when they say it, the venom venom, and the poison you're like, uh, uh, it, 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 before you say that again, could I step back because it's really spewing? And let's be honest, that's not just other people, that's us. Because, in fact, the more mature you are, probably the more humbling it is to admit, I'm becoming bitter. Right? Because I know I'm not supposed to be becoming bitter. And I know that's bad when you become bitter. And I never planned on becoming bitter. Surely I'm not bitter. Do you see, do you see the issue? You see, that kind of deception defiles many people. It makes us dirty in the eyes of God, and we can no longer enter into His holy presence. This is why right before the author of Hebrews talks about bitterness, he says, pursue peace with all people and the holiness without which no one will see God. Because bitterness, is, is, it, it makes us dirty. It dirties our heart. It dirties our lives. It dirties the people around us. And God doesn't allow dirtiness to enter His presence. Now, we know that we're in Christ. We're clean and pure. But that doesn't mean fellowship. He doesn't embrace, you know, he's just, you know, he embraced dirty kids so that he can clean them up. And he declared us righteous so that we could become righteous. Amen. So bitterness is a poison that's extremely deadly, a process that's incredibly deceptive, a plague that's highly contagious. And this is how contagious it can be. And this is a serious warning. The root of bitterness not only contaminates many people, but it can be passed on to future generations. In Deuteronomy, verse 18, he says, Watch out for the root of bitterness, that there may not be among you a man or a woman or a family or a tribe whose heart has turned away. Entire families can pass bitterness from one generation to another. You know, I know most families, we don't 
sit at the table and eat very much anymore. But we drive here, here, here and there. We drive from activities. We drive home from church. And what, what are our kids hearing coming out of our mouths? What's our spouse hearing coming out of our mouths? Entire churches can try and minister in bitterness to others. Entire communities can live in bitterness with one another. You know, remember Jim Elliott and the other four missionaries that were martyred in Ecuador? The people they were trying to reach, who were called at that time Alcas, killers, their whole life was revenge, bitter, and death. And the reason they killed those guys wasn't so much because it was they because of who they were. It was infighting. It was this bitterness that was a part of their community. And those five men got cut off, caught got caught up in it, lost their lives. But of course, God's sovereign, Amen. And He used that. He used that for a greater glory. And now that community is totally different, totally transformed. Not just individual people getting saved, but the whole mindset of a community transformed. How should people handle contagious diseases? Well, uh, we put up warning signs. We have uh, uh, things to clean our hands everywhere we go. When someone is sick, we quarantine them. We isolate them so that they will not infect others. We take extreme measures. Here's the point. Bitterness is a plague. It's highly contagious. It spreads quickly. Others are easily infected. It can be passed from one generation to another. So here's one final warning on this. One of the ways it gets passed is by floating bitterness. Floating bitterness. Because it's contagious, we can't always control how it affects. So here's what we think in our foolishness. We think, I can be bitter at this person, and as long as I get this person out of my life, then I'm okay. But if you don't deal with the bitterness of your heart, the problem is wherever you go, who's there? You. Yeah, but that, you know, that person's the problem. No, the problem's my heart. And so wherever I go, so what hap- floating bitterness is where a, 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 you can, you can be, a woman could be better, t- bitter towards her ex-husband can actually take her anger out on her own children. A man that's bitter towards his mother can take it out on his own wife. A man that's bitter to his parents can actually take it out on his spouse and kids. A pastor that's bitter at his last church can take it out on his present congregation. It's called floating bitterness. And when you've encountered it, you're like, what did I do to you? And you know what the answer is? Nothing. Wrong place, wrong time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so watch out for that. It's kind of like someone that's sick to their stomach and throws up. They don't have a lot of control on where it goes and who it lands on. But it stinks and no one wants any of it on them. Okay? Fourth thing. Bitterness is a person that is spiritually cursed. Bitterness is a person that is spiritually cursed. And we'll talk more about this in the next two weeks. So it's not just a heart condition. It's a person and their way of life. According to the passages that we've read in Hebrews, bitterness is a person who has fallen short of the grace of God and is cursed like Esau. And according to Deuteronomy... It's an idolater that will suffer all the curses. Wow. Okay. I don't want to be a bitter person. I, 
it's not a root. I become the root of bitterness and my bitterness spreads. So how do I know if I'm a how do I know if I'm a root of bitterness? Ask God's spirit to search your heart. Let's start that process today. Amen. Secondly, when God points it out, agree with him that it's a deadly poison, deceptive process, contagious plague and a cursed person. And you're not going to tolerate it. And God doesn't tolerate it. Third, accept forgiveness. Accept forgiveness while it's offered. And then just put it away. Just put it away by the power of the Spirit. And we're going to help you with that next week and the week next. The thing I want you to do today is just ask yourself, am I that root of bitterness? And what's going on in my heart? There's a lot of hurting people. There's hurting people in our church. There's hurting people in our relationships. And the greatest warning I can give all of us is beware that a root of bitterness may not spring up and defile many. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come and we thank you for your word. Man, we'd be one messed up people, not only for eternity, but in a daily basis without the guidance of your word. Thank you for these passages. And Lord, thank you for divine surgery. And I pray that you can start that process right now and even hinder that process of hardening of hearts, of slipping into bitterness. And Lord, may we as our groups uh, meet for fellowship and fun tonight. May this session of our grow groups enable us to avoid this bitter, deadly poison. And may we contain its spread. And more than anything, pursue that holiness with which we know you're pleased and present. In Jesus' name, because it's because of Him that we have any victory and any hope. In His name we pray. Amen. Amen.